Now, I want to share with you that I, um, I love music. And, and I can't sing, I can't play an instrument, but man, I love music. And I love the messages of songs. And this one song got really popular, and I got to tell you, I thought it was some of the strangest words I'd ever heard, and then I thought about what it was saying. And, and here's what it is. The song is about somebody who says, you know what, I love you so much that I would die for you. I, I would literally die for you. I, I, would, I would allow myself, I would put myself in harm's way for you. But the ache and the hurt is you don't love me the same. And why did I think that was incredible? Because you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, greater love has no one than this, and they would lay down their life for a friend. And the Lord said, I love you that way. And then he said, you know what? I'm hoping that you would love me with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Whenever God loves us with that kind of unabandoned love, hopefully we turn around and do the same thing back. But whenever we don't, what happens is we create a dysfunctional relationship with God, which he refuses to be a part of. And, and we try to take and we try to do less than. And so kind of the meaning of the song is how much it hurts when someone doesn't love you with the same passion that we show. And, and it does hurt. It does hurt when you say, I'd give anything for you. And they'd only give something back, a little bit back. So the song's by Bruno Mars. It's called Grenade. And, um, and I got to tell you, Casey and Ricky bring it. So I want to do this. Would you actually welcome Casey and Ricky right now as they come to share this with Easy come, easy go. That's just how you live or take, take, take it all. But you never can. Should have known your trouble from the first kiss. Had your eyes wide open. Why were they open? I gave you all I had. You taught me the trash. Do the same if my body. 
Wow. Hey, I, I got to tell you, I love that song. As a matter of fact, uh, when my granddaughters were out there, four years old, I, I played it for them in the car. It became their favorite, so we played it over and over. And I'd look at them and go, girls, Papa would catch a grenade for you. And they'd be so excited. And, and I got to tell you, the song cracks me up, especially the line, you kissed me and your eyes were wide open. Why were they wide open? I want to know why they were looking. That, that, I don't, if it's a bad thing, why were you looking? And, uh, but, but here's the thing is, is really when you think about it, how sad it is when someone loves you and, and, and love isn't returned, it, 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 it hurts. God loves us. He loves us with everything he has and he gives everything. I mean, he's never going to hold back. And here's what I want you to grab hold of. When we don't hold back, we end up embracing an amazing life that God wants to pour and lavish upon us. And we're going to see that today in the book of Ephesians. We're in chapter one. But, but I want you to think about that with me because that's what God wants you to have happen. Let's pray. Father, I pray right now you'd enlighten the eyes of our heart. Let us see. Let us know. Let us be aware, God. And I pray we're people who experience this great, great love. And we ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, there was a woman one time that had uh, stopped by the pharmacy on her way to pick up her kids from school. She ran inside, she played cash, ran outside and realized she had left her purse, her keys and her cell phone in the car and it's locked. She thought, oh no, what am I going to do? My kids, I got to be there to pick them up. She's looking at the car. She doesn't know what to do. And so she steps back and she says, oh Lord God, I pray right now that you bring someone to get into that car and let me in. God, bring me help. Show me favor. Do something, God. And she opened her eyes and saw a man walking by. And she thought, that's my answer. So she walked up and goes, excuse me. Uh, I locked my purse in the car and my keys are in. Can you open my car for me? The guy went, well, yeah. And he walks over a few seconds. Boom, the car's open. She was so impressed. She went, walked up and said, you know what? You're like an angel from heaven. You're an answer to my prayers. And the guy said, lady, there's no way I'm an angel for heaven. I can't be the answer to your prayers. I, I just got out of prison. And she said, what were you in for? He said, stealing cars. <laughs> and she stepped back and said, oh, Lord God, you sent a professional. <laughs> you know, uh, 
Well, God always answers. That's what I want you to grab. And when you begin to understand the kind of life he has for you, it becomes amazing. And that's what Paul is getting at here in the book of Ephesians. He opens up with such passion and excitement. And he's just overflowing with praise. Now, I don't know if you catch that when you read it, but that's how chapter one begins. As a matter of fact, are you ready for this? Chapter one is made up of basically two sentences. I mean, why? He just keeps going on and on and on. If you could hear Paul saying it, he can't catch a breath. He is so excited about what he's telling us. It just, it just flows. It's like an effervescent bubbling out of the amazing things of God. As a matter of fact, verses 3 to 14 is one sentence. And then 15 to 23 is one more sentence. And, and it just overflows with what God has for you and has for me. Skip down to verse 18 and look what Paul's praying. After he tells us all these wonderful things, he prays a prayer. And he says this in verse 18. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Did you catch that? I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. All of you who are in the Crossroads family, let me tell you something I've been praying. For weeks now, as we prepared for this, I've literally prayed that prayer. God, enlighten our hearts, my heart, your hearts, all together, that we might see that we might know that we do not miss out on what God has for us. And so that's what he's saying. I want you to have this light come on inside your heart where you can see what you need to see. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of his glory, of his inheritance in the saints. Now look at verse 19. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of his strength. Now, did you grab that? Paul said, I want you to know the surpassing power, the riches of his grace. Everything's bigger and better and more incredible. And that's what he's talking about because that's what it's like to be in a life with God as your father through the power of the death and the burial and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not based on what you do. See, here's the thing. It's not based Based on what you do. It's God's love for you. And he pours it out upon you. And that's what you and I should be experiencing. That's how he wants us to live. He opens up the, the, the letter to the Ephesians in verses 1 and 2 by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now notice who this letter is written to. To the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me stop there and say this. This, this opening section is addressed to anybody who's living a faithful life in Christ. If you're kind of believing God, that doesn't fit you. If you're, you're half following God and lukewarm, this won't fit you. But this is what God wants for you. But for all of you who are faithful in Christ, this is the life he has. This is what he wants you to experience. And so he opens up by saying, for you who are faithful, I know the kind of life you're experiencing. And he begins to talk about it with his first sentence, verses 3 to 14, that just flows. And notice the first thing it says in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. And now I want to pause. Don't miss this next phrase. Who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. Did you see how he starts this out? Man, I want to say, blessed be God. Why? Because he blesses you not with some blessings, not with most blessings, not he picks and chooses. Hey, you get this blessing, you get this. Did you see what it says? You're blessed with every blessing that possibly can be given to you. Every blessing. Look at that phrase again. With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. God doesn't leave any of you out. 
He doesn't, he doesn't play favorites in, in that sense. God says, I want to unleash on you every single blessing you could possibly have. If you haven't caught what it's like to live with God, it's a blessed life. As a matter of fact, over 400 times in the Bible, the word blessed is used with the idea of God actively blessing you. And if God wants to do that for you, I hope you'd say, that's my life. That's what I'm experiencing. That's what's happening. I'm just in this overflowing, blessed life with God. That's what God has. And you might say, but Chuck, my life is hard. My life is tough. Are you ready for this? Paul wrote this letter from prison. Did you catch it? This isn't some pie in the sky. It might happen. Paul, and we'll get to know this in a moment, is sitting in prison going, isn't God incredible? Look what he does for us. By the way, you're not in prison if you're here right now. Some of you might be going, but you know... Uh, but here's the thing, no matter where you are, this is what God does. No matter who you are, if you open up to the love of God, he has this for you, every spiritual blessing. In other words, nothing left out, overflowing, incredible in your life. That's what it meant to be living with life with God. So then you gotta ask the question, why? Why are some people not getting it? And I wanna tell you, I think I know an illustration that'll help you see it. There was a man who loved his mom and dad. I mean, they had given everything for him. They had been there for him. They had poured their lives out for him that they had done without for him. And so now that he had made it, he thought, I want to I wanna, I wanna do something for my mom and dad. And so he decided to send him on a cruise. And so he knew they wouldn't go on a long one. So he booked a short one, the four-day cruise, you know, that goes out of the San Pedro Harbor. And, and he got them the best possible stateside cabin he could with a big balcony on it. And he just wanted this to be a dream where they would be taken care of, where they would have just the most incredible experience ever. So he drove them down there and he could tell how nervous they were. And he said, it's going to be okay and you're going to love this. And he gets them on the boat and, and he leaves and he's just thinking, oh, I can't wait to hear how they liked it. Well, it was like counting down the hours, minutes, seconds. He finally picks them up. When they come walking off, he goes, how was it? And they said, we're starving. Starving after being on a cruise? And he thought, okay, let's go get something to eat. So the whole way there, he goes, well, how was it? They go, oh, it was nice, thank you. And, and, and he goes, there's something wrong. So they get out there, and, and just as they start eating dinner, I mean, they're woofing it down. And he looked at him and said, well, I mean, how was the food? And they said, well, son, I mean, the food must have been incredible. And we walked out that first night and saw that huge buffet with some of the most amazing things ever out there. And we looked at it, and we realized we can't afford that. So we went back in our cabin and sat there and just drank some water. And, you know, the whole cruise, we looked at the net. We couldn't afford any of the meals. And so we're starving. We didn't eat anything for four days. Now, if you haven't been on a cruise before, the food's included. Now, they're sitting in a beautiful cabin, starving to death. They're sitting there with the most amazing food, waiting to be unlavished on them. Service that you can't imagine. People who would do anything for you. How many Christians are living like that? How many, maybe some of you today, you know, God's going, I'm going to unleash every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, and you don't want it. Maybe you're sitting in a pretty nice house, but you feel empty. Maybe you got a pretty good job, but you know you know there's something more. Maybe, you know, you got some good friendship, but you don't have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And even worse, maybe some of you are just getting by. That is not what Paul said this is to be like. Paul said, do you realize what God does? He has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then in verse 4 it says this, just as he chose us in him. Do you realize God chose you? He didn't just have to take you. He didn't go, well, I'll die for the world and I'll take you too. He chose you. 
He chose you. Now, now what's that like? When you're chosen, you should feel special. You should know you're incredible. Uh, in the 1970s, I, some of you know this, I saw the most beautiful girl I'd ever seen in my life. Her name was Pam Deegan. And I was driving up Garrettson. She's sitting on her lawn. I thought, oh, man, I'd never seen a girl that beautiful. And so right away, I wanted to know who she was. And I found out, and I made sure that I met her. And I found out she was dating a guy, and three other guys liked her. On top of that, when the minute I started liking her, two of my friends started liking her, too. So now there's six or seven of us after Pam. And she had a boyfriend, but I got him broke up. And uh, <laughs> it's another story, but it's a good one. And... So what happened, though, is one of my friends named Alan, Alan is off the charts good-looking. Now, I don't mean that a little. Matter of fact, all these guys were good-looking. There's this guy, David Becker, man. He just looked like, you know, a handsome, tan, ripped. And then Alan was handsomer than him. He was Ronnie Roa handsome, okay? And he was so handsome, we were over at their house, and Pam's little sister comes in, and she sits, and she just stares at him. And he looks at her, and she goes, what are you looking at? And she goes, you're so pretty. And, uh... All these guys want Pam, and she chose me. Now, how do you think that made me feel? Man, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I, she chose me. So we had been dating a month or two, and finally I decided to, to find out what's going on. And I said, did you know these other guys like you? you know, and, and I wasn't sure she did. I thought when she found out, she might trade me in for a better model. And, and she said, yeah, I, I did. She was real humble. I, I, yeah, I knew. And I said, but you chose me. She goes, well, Chuck, I like you. Now, now I got to tell you, I, I was on cloud nine. Not only did I want her, not only did I care about her, but I knew how desired she was, and she chose me. You know what? God chose you. He chose you. Now, maybe you don't get it. He chose you. He loves you. He cares about you. That's the message that's here. This is the deepest theological truth you could ever get. Next week, we're going to get the deepest theological truth ever. But I want you to grab that. I don't know if you'll resonate with this, but did any of you ever go roller skating when you were a kid? You know, you go to the roller rink, and, and they used to have this thing at the roller rinks I went to called the spotlight. And what it was, all the girls line up, and the guys skate around, and then they had a, a big spotlight, and if they shined it on you, it meant the first girl in line chose you, and you would skate with her. And I remember the first time I was there, I'm like, oh, the spotlight, and then it hit me. What if I skate around alone the whole time? What if no spotlight comes on me? What? And I'm like, oh, and so I'm going, and the spotlight came on me. And by the way, I didn't care who it was. I just was glad I was chosen. <laughs> Do you know what? God is incredible. I, I, maybe you don't know that, but he's God. He's got it going. And, uh, and he chose you. And he said, you chose you to bless you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly. But I, I hope you go, Whoa. God, you chose me. That's who God is. That's how God cares. And, and he chose you that you would be holy and blameless. Now you might say, but I'm not. But guess what? Not by your power, not by your might, not by what you do. God has now put upon you the forgiveness that comes only through him in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he sees you as holy and he sees you as blameless. And by the way, when God declares that, you are. And he chose to do this for you. And that's God's great desire. Now, yeah, let's clap for that. That we're going to have that happen. He also did something else. This sentence goes on. Paul says in verse 4. By the way, notice the end of verse 4 is in love. It was a bad verse. Uh, the, the verse shouldn't have ended where it did. In love, 
he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glory, of his grace, which he freely bestowed on, a, on us in the beloved. Now notice it says, in love and in the beloved. What did he do? And a kind intention, with all kindness, with all intending to do great things in your life, he adopted you. He adopted you. Now, I don't know if you get excited about that. That means that no matter whatever relationship you've ever had with an earthly mom and dad, you now have a heavenly father who wants to be your Abba father. He wants to care about you. He wants to love you. He wants to pour it into you. In Galatians 4, 4 to 7, it says this. It says, but when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Now, why? So that, why? So that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And the word Abba is an Aramaic word that's daddy. He doesn't want to just be your father. He wants to be your daddy. He wants to be your dad. He wants to be that close to you. He wants to be your papa. That's who he wants to be. And in verse 7, it says, Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. God says, I, I predestined you to adopt you. Now, now start on the idea of adoption. You know what adoption means? It means now you're his. You belong to him. It really is true. And I know I, I've seen this happen time and again where a, a parent has, has taken their child and went to explain to him you were adopted. And, and they're always a little nervous. And, and almost all the times that that happens, you probably already know what's about to be said. The parent looks at the child and says, you know, while every mom and dad loves the kids they have, you're special because you are what? Chosen. Which is true. Which is true. God chose you. He chose you because he loved you, but he chose you to be his child. And he wants you to know that. That's his great desire. And how do you feel about your kids? Well, let me give you another example. Uh, uh, Pam and I had one of the greatest blessings ever. Last Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we got to have uh, Eleni and Liam just all to ourselves. Tim and Jill went on vacation, and we got them at our house. And it was like, it, I mean, I was in heaven with those kids being there. And so what happened is, Monday, I can't wait to get home. And so I'm going to go get to play with them. And I opened the door, and I said, hey, I'm home. And I come walking in, and there's the screaming because Eleni's not quite one years old so she's giving me her name her name she calls me ah <laughs> that's my name yeah she goes ah and then she crawls for me ah you know and, and, and I love that. I, that I it's my favorite new name and I scoop her in my arms and then Liam runs up to me and he goes papa uh-oh and I looked at him like, uh-oh, what? And, and then he takes me around the, the kitchen island and there's his blue truck that he got from that rides outfit in Disney Walk, you know, where you build these remote control and it's this beautiful, cool blue truck and he goes, uh-oh, and what he's saying is it won't work. Now, now, what do you think I do? You think I look at him and go, well, you gotta wait for your parents? Or do you think I say, sorry, kid? No, if you're Papa and it doesn't work, you've got a job now, you go fix it. So I get it up and I change the batteries, that doesn't work. I take it apart, that doesn't work. I go online, can't find an answer. So I call the store and I let them know, this is urgent. I'm a grandfather and I've got to meet this need. And, and so the lady's totally understanding. She goes, can you come down here? Now what's that mean? It means I'm going to have to go on the 91 freeway, which is purgatory, hell on earth. And... <laughs> And I'm going to drive all the way to the Disney Walk. And I'm going to park my car. And I'm going to run to the store. And I'm going to have them, you know, change out this chassis. And I'm going to have to go back on the 91. And, and by the way, would I do that for my grandson? 
Oh, you bet. You bet. And I did. And I was a hero. <laughs> when you say God, uh-oh. What do you think he does? Now, here's my point. That's what he does. He, he's your Abba. And when you say, uh-oh, he comes. He works. He does amazing things. This is how God is. That's why Paul said, I can't stop talking about it. I can't hold back on this. And this is, by the way, please don't miss this. This is the life you are to be living. This is what your experience with him should be. And he chose you and loves you and cares about you. And he doesn't want you to know anything else. Now, notice how it says this, though, in verse 5. It says he predestined us to adoption. How did he do that? Did God say, well, you know what? I'm going to predestine some people to be my children and others I'm not. Are you ready for the answer? Yes. He did. He predestined some to be his and others not. Today, you're either predestined to be a child of God or you're not. And you might ask, whoa, 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 wait a minute. How does that work? Are you ready? It's according to foreknowledge. Not for choice. It's his foreknowledge. His foreknowledge based on whether you would say yes or not. Based on whether you would accept this or not. He didn't choose for you, but he is predestined based on your willingness to choose that he is going to do these things in your life. How do we know this? Listen to Romans 8, 29 to 30. For those whom he foreknew, and that means to know ahead of time. For those he foreknew, he predestined to become as conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these he called, he also justified. And these he justified, he also glorified. Now, I got to tell you that I'm not the smartest guy in the world all the time, but back when I was in high school and I knew I liked Pam and I was going to ask her out, I just didn't go up cold and say, hey, will you go out with me? No, that would be dumb. Some of you guys go, wait, why is that dumb? Guys, what you do, you ask her friend if she's going to say yes. <laughs> That's called smart. You don't want to go down in flames, right? So I go to one of Pam's friends. I said, hey, I'm thinking about asking her out. What do you think? She goes, oh, she'll say yes. When I walked up to Pam, I had an unreliable authority. She'd say yes. I had foreknowledge, foreknowledge of it, you know? And so I went up and I asked her, and she said yes, and it showed what great taste you have. And, uh, you know, but, but here's the point. God knew ahead of time your answer. And he knew that if you would say yes to him, he predestined something more. If you would say yes to his love, if you would say yes to his forgiveness, if you would say yes to his cleansing and freedom, he chose and predestined to do something even more and make you his child. You have a destiny. You have a destiny to be God's. You could choose it or not. It's your choice. But if you know you're going to, he knows ahead of time whether you're going to say yes or no. Sadly, some people say no to this life. Man, if you're here today, I hope you never would. But, but sadly, some do. First Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Peter an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen, and notice verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled by his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. In other words, not even holding back. But did you notice how it happens according to foreknowledge? God chooses on foreknowledge. He knows whether you're going to say yes or not. And if he knows you'll say yes, he's chosen not only to say what, to, to answer what you say yes to, but to now take it a step further and make you his. And he chose to make you blameless. And he chose to do a lot of things that can only happen in Christ. Now, I want to stop there. 
The word in him, or the phrase in him, is found five times in chapter one and seven times in the book of Ephesians. That doesn't include the times it says in Christ. But there's something special about the in hymns. And I've written them down for you in your notes so you can go and underline them and study and meditate on this. But I want to quickly cover it. Notice some of the five in hymns. Ephesians 1, 7, and 8. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Now notice verse 8. Which he lavished on us. Now I want to stop there. In him. He redeems you. He makes you his. In him, he forgives you and cleanses you completely and makes you holy and blameless. And in him, he lavishes upon you according to the riches of his grace. Did you catch that? Not only does he give you every spiritual blessing, he lavishes upon you. Now I want to stop there and just think about this. God doesn't just say, I want to bless you. He says, according to all the riches I have, I want to overflow in lavishing upon you. Lavishing joy, lavishing peace, lavishing power, lavishing the, the incredible uh, uh, working of the Holy Spirit in your life. That's what God wants to do. And you and I need to open up and embrace it. See, that's all he's saying. Just open up and embrace it. You can't earn it. We're going to see next week. You can't earn it. He doesn't want you to earn it. He wants to pour it out upon you out of love for you. And hopefully today you would say, you know what my life is like? My life is like the greatest power in the universe lavishing upon me constantly. That's what it's supposed to be. That's who we're supposed to be. Now, the word grace is a Greek word, charis. And it literally means a gift so incredible a gift, something you don't earn, a gift so incredible you have to jump for joy. Now, I don't want to, if you got a gift that's a good gift, you go, oh, well, thank you, that's not a charis. A charis is above that. So, for instance, if I went up to you and said, hey, you know what, here, I want to give you a buck for a cup of coffee, that, you'd go, well, thank you. But if I went up to you and said, I want to give you $100,000, that's a charis, that's a gift of grace. I can't imagine you'd go, oh, that's it. I mean, you might be speechless. You might be overwhelmed. You might jump for joy for 100,000, but it's, you're, you're gonna have emotions going through your body. If I watched someone else walk up and give you $100,000, I would jump for joy because I know you're a tithe off of it. And, uh, right? Yeah, and so, you know, if you said, man, I need a ride and I give you a ride, that's a gift. But if I said, you know, let me give you a brand new car. That's a charis. That's a grace gift. That's something more incredible. God wants to lavish upon you. And you might say, okay, but why am I not feeling it? Why, why are the eyes of my heart not enlightened to this? That's what Paul says. I pray that you would have the eyes of your heart enlightened. And I'll tell you, I, I do think I know why. You ready? I think it's because we seek those things from somewhere other than God. Uh, for instance, I am married again to the most amazing woman ever, but she cannot be the source of my love. I love her and she loves me, but if I ever expect to get from her what only God can give, she'll always disappoint me. And I'll always, in the end, feel like something's missing. You know why? Because something's missing. But if I go and get the love that God has for me, then I'm going to be a better husband, a better father, a better grandfather, a better pastor, a better friend. And, but if I expect that's going to give me my joy, I'm not going to get it. If you think, by the way, some people, believe it or not, you know, you think, well, my, my friendships ought to give me that joy. Well, you know what? They're never going to. But I'm not saying you can't have joy, but they're not going to give you that lavish joy. Sadly, oh my gosh, listen to this, please. Sadly, too many people think their jobs are going to give it to them. Now, now I got to tell you, that's the most heartbreaking thing of all. 
I hope you have a job you love, but if that's where you think your source of joy and significance comes from, you're in trouble, no matter what you do. I have a friend, man, and I love this man. And he went and took over a struggling organization. He poured himself into it because he loved what he did. He took them to heights they could never imagine. But he did it at the expense of his relationship with his sons and his grandchildren. I mean, he gave and gave and gave and gave. The only friends he had in his life were people he worked with. And he loved going to work. But then it came time to retire. Where are those friendships now? Where's those conversations now? His grandchildren have started growing up without him. I mean, he's trying to rediscover that. You want to hear something else? It was four years ago that he retired. Actually, no, that seven, seven years ago he retired. If he shows up at the gate, they won't let him in. Matter of fact, I was talking to someone who works there. They don't remember him. You think people are going to remember you at your workplace 10 years from now? You know, some might, but they're, they're not going to know like they know you now. Why do we think that's where we're going to get significance? It's the worst thing I could ever think of. Life isn't about that. Life is about loving God with your heart, mind, and soul and loving other people. And when you start doing that the right way, the healthy way, you're not going to wonder if your life has meaning. As a matter of fact, you know what's going to happen? God's going to lavish on you a significant, incredible life. We're going to get to Ephesians 2.10 later where God has prepared great things for you to do and accomplish. That's who God's meant for you to be. And he lavishes it upon you. And he doesn't want you to miss out. And then verses 8 to 10, it says, In all wisdom and insight. Catch that. In all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention which he purposed in him. God's great desire is that you would know the kindness of his will. That you would know the mystery of his will. Now, I, I, lo I, I love when people come up and say, Chuck, how do I know God's will for my life? I love that question. But let me tell you this. It's found in Jesus. God didn't hide his will from you. God has a will for your life. And you know what he didn't do? He didn't go, hey, I got a will for your life. It's incredible. Now you got to find it. Hunt for it. It's hidden. <laughs> I really did a good job hiding this one. <laughs> it's in China. Go. You know, Anna, God didn't do that. God says when you get close to me and you seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, you're going to discover his will for your life. And in Jesus, you begin to know what you are made for. You get to know what God wants for you. You get to see all the incredible things that he wants to show you. And that's what God wants to have happen for you. And so he has that for you. And then I can't miss verses 10 to 12. Look at this. In him also we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose. Now catch this. Who works all things after the counsel of his will. Did you catch that? God works all things after the counsel of his will. In him, in Christ. When you're in Christ, what does he do? Romans 8, 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. Now, God does not cause everything. God does not make everything happen. But God causes all things to work together for good if you love him. And if you live your life according to his purpose, if you're faithful, that's how we started. And in Ephesians 1.10, he works all things after the counsel of his will. Remember, Paul was writing this in prison. He's sitting in prison saying, isn't God incredible? You might say, why? Well, here's why. Paul had a great dream. Paul thought, I want to go one day and preach in Rome. But it's expensive to get to Rome. So he prayed, God, let it happen. And what happens? Paul gets arrested by the Roman government, and they now pay his way to go to Rome. 
That's a pretty good deal. And then Paul's desire was to preach to as many people as possible. He gets sentenced to house arrest, being chained to what's called the Praetorian Guard. The Praetorian Guard was the most elite of all the Roman army. They were the sons of the most powerful people. And Paul's sitting there every single day, chained to future leaders, chained to movers, shakers, chained to the most important people possible. Here's the question. Was Paul chained to them or were they chained to him? Don't you know it was the other way? That's how it was. Yeah, Paul was like, come on, chain up, chain up. Want to hear about Jesus? You can't get away. <laughs> you know, and Paul had him for hours. I could see some poor Roman soldier going, who'd you draw today? I drew Paul. Oh, you're in trouble. You know, and you know what Paul writes at the end of the book of Philippians? He goes, and those in Rome greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Because it was God's will for Paul to reach the highest of the high. As a matter of fact, historically, we know this to be true. One of the people chained to him was Nero's nephew, who ended up becoming a Christian. God works all things after the counsel of his will. God makes everything in your life become incredible. Here's the thing I want to ask you. Is that your life? Is that your life? Because I know God wants it to be. Now, not easy, but, but wonderful, incredible, amazing. Even when you face tough things. And this is a God who loves you as an Abba, Father, a Daddy, a Papa, who wants to lavish upon you his power, his grace, his riches, his glory. And today, all of you who are followers of Christ, I just want to say, let God do this for you. This is what it means to be his. This is what God wants to have you have. This is why Paul opened up and said, and I pray, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened to a love like this. I want this for you. And today, if you're not a Christian, I want to tell you it's not about being religious. It's about entering into a relationship like this. And you might say, okay, wait, wait, wait. This sounds too good to be true. And here's the answer, you ready? It is too good, but it's true. It's too good, but it's true. It really is. And, and it's for you. And the way you enact this in your life, the way you embrace this is by actually saying, come in. The Bible says that Jesus tells us that I stand at the door and I knock. If anyone would open up to me, I would come into him and I would have fellowship with him. The Lord wants to have a relationship with you. And if you would open up to him, he wants to come and experience it. And you might say, okay, how do I open up? Well, if someone knocks at the door of your house, you could physically open the door or you could say, come in. And you know what God wants you to do? He wants you to say it. He wants you to whisper a prayer and say to him, I want this. And in a moment, I'm gonna lead a prayer for any of you who wanna give your lives to Christ for the first time. We've been praying and praying that what will happen is the eyes of your heart, somehow deep inside, there'll be a light that will come on, something you'll know within you that this is your moment in time. And today, today, I'm praying that some of you who are sitting there will whisper this prayer with me. Today, if you're a Christian, but you're not living a life where you're experiencing God as your Abba Father, where the surpassing greatness of his power is lavished upon you, where the riches of his grace is poured upon you in ways you can't imagine, where you're living a life experiencing every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If that's not your life, God wants it to be. He wants it for you. And you know what? You might have done some things to stop it from happening, but now what do you do? You just open back up and tell him you want it. And today, if you're here today and you're a believer, but you aren't living this kind of life, I'm going to ask you to recommit and pray this prayer with us too. Right now, my prayer is, may the eyes, eyes of many of your hearts open up to the love of God. Actually, let me say it again. I pray the eyes of all our hearts will. 
all of us will embrace this. Let's pray. Father, I know, I know you love me. I'm overwhelmed by it. But I know there's not a man or a woman or a guy or a girl in this room who is not loved by you. You've chosen them, Lord. You care about them. You love them. And I pray that they would open up to you. I know we have a choice. And I pray we're all going to choose yes. Right now, if you're a follower of God and you're experiencing his love, I just want to have you say this with me. Lord, yes. I, I, I don't want to hold back. I want to be yours. Oh, I want you. Father, I pray right now your Holy Spirit would literally move. You've asked us to commit to you things here so that you would do this work. So I'm asking you now, God, to begin to move on the hearts and the minds of people in this room who need to give their life to you or who need to rededicate their life. Maybe they've been lukewarm. Maybe they just feel like you're not there for them. Maybe they feel like they're missing out. Maybe, God, they've done something that they never thought they would do. You always knew they would, and you love them. And God, you're ready to take them and bring them through it. God, I pray for a person who's sitting here today and they've been so filled with worry and fear and not sure how to make it. God, I pray they would open up to the surpassing greatness of your power. Lord, for a person who's sitting here today and they've never felt chosen by anyone, they never thought anybody would say, I choose you. God, I pray today they would know that you choose them. You see them. You love them. You've heard them. And I pray now they would want to hear you. So Lord, we ask and pray right now you'd touch everybody who needs to come or to recommit and give themselves to you completely. I'm going to ask that we keep praying. And right now I'm going to lead a prayer. I'm going to ask you if you want this life with God for the first time or you want to recommit, I'm going to ask you right where you're sitting, would you whisper it with me? Here's the question. Do you want it? It's your choice, but he wants you. Oh, he wants you. And he wants to shower his love upon you. So if you want this, let's pray this together. Whisper these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me. And I know that you died on the cross to forgive me all of my sins and failures. To heal me from all my hurt and my pain to free me from worry and free me from fear and to make me alive oh and to make me yours and Lord I want this and I want you so I open my heart to you please fill me with your love right now just fill me with it and fill me with your spirit and help me be who you created me to be and help me live the life you have for me to live. And this I pray in Jesus' name, amen. And praise God if you prayed that prayer today. Praise the Lord.